From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Thursday, December 14th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Hamas says it's ready to negotiate with Israel for another ceasefire in Gaza. After confirming plans to run for re-election, Russia's leader takes questions from the public in a televised event. After days of snow in northern China, regions including the capital are now bracing for a sharp drop in temperatures. In business, China's economic growth rate outperforms other major economies. In sports, teams are ready for the UEFA Champions League knockout stage. In culture and entertainment, the Palace Museum's waste-free initiative is reporting progress. Now checking the day's top stories. Hamas says it's ready for talks with Israel for another ceasefire in Gaza. The militant group's leader says Hamas welcomes United Nations General Assembly resolution demanding an immediate truce. He's also urging increased international pressure to halt Israeli attacks on the coastal enclave. However, Israel says it'll continue fighting in Gaza with or without international support. U.S. President Joe Biden earlier said Israel risked losing support with its indiscriminate bombing of Gaza. Gaza. Rains caused flooding in parts of Gaza, adding to the humanitarian disaster the people are already suffering. Meanwhile, Hamas has released videos allegedly showing intense fighting around Khan Yunus in southern Gaza. Associated Press correspondent Philip Crowther reports. Well, it was one of the deadliest days since Israel started its military campaign in Gaza, a deadly ambush in a dense urban neighborhood in northern Gaza, in precisely the part of the Gaza Strip that Defense Minister Yoav Gallant had previously said only had pockets of resistance. Nine Israeli soldiers lost their lives, ten altogether in one day alone in Gaza. 
The dire humanitarian situation got worse with heavy rainfall, particularly in the southern Gaza Strip. That led to flooding in some of the uh, tent camps that are now in the south because that is precisely where the Israeli military sold, told civilians to go to and where they, in theory at least, should be safe. Israel is not getting any closer to a ceasefire. It's uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu saying uh, nothing will stop us and we are continuing until the end. International pressure comes from, for example, that vote in the UN General Assembly, an emphatic vote for that resolution for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. That was Philip Crowther with the Associated Press. Gaza's 2.3 million residents are still grappling with water shortages amid Israel's blockade. Noor Harazin spoke with some residents on how they're getting by. Clean water, essential for life, is now lacking in Gaza after Israeli Defense Minister Yuav Galant ordered a full siege on the Strip on October 9th. During the offensive, Gaza's sanitation infrastructure and most of its water wells have been destroyed. That's pushed Palestinians to find an alternative source from the sea. There's no water at all. We're forced to bottle seawater and use it daily, and also for the toilet. As you can see, they have demolished our homes. Even food and drinking water cannot be found. We're truly in the midst of a great suffering. Diana Abu'l-Arraj comes to the shores of Deir al-Balah every day with her friends to bottle some seawater for her family, not only for washing, but also to drink, despite the health danger that poses. We do not have water because of the war. We come here to drink seawater even though it's unhealthy. But we need water, whatever its source. We demand that they stop the war and for everything to return to how it was. Other Gazans find a rescue refugee on the beach, away from the bombings inside the cities. All of us here have nowhere to go but to the sea. There is no other place to go because the bombing is everywhere, even here on the seashore. The bombing followed us. A family was bombed and killed while they were just sitting here on the beach. Unfortunately, even the sea has become dangerous, but we have no other place. Since 2007, this coastal enclave has endured an air, land and sea blockade imposed by Israel, severely limiting Gaza's access to basic goods and resources. Now, this total blockade is leaving the entire population in a critical shortage of the most basic resources of all, water. That was Noor Harazin reporting from Gaza. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says that phasing out fossil fuels is necessary to solve the issue of climate change. It comes after parties to the COP28 climate conference in Dubai reached a final consensus on a climate deal. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujeric read a statement on behalf of Guterres saying the outcome recognizes the need to transition away from fossil fuels after the discussion of the issue was blocked for many years. To those who opposed a clear reference to the phase-out of fossil fuel in the COP28 text, the Secretary General said that a fossil fuel phase-out is inevitable, whether we like it or not. Let's just hope it doesn't come too late, he added. Dujeric adds that uh, the world cannot afford delays or half measures. He said he remains confident that despite many differences, the world can unite and rise to the challenges of the climate crisis. Multilateralism remains humanity's best hope. 
it is essential to come together around real, practical, and meaningful climate solutions that match the scale of the climate crisis. Climate deal stipulates a slew of measures to cope with climate change regarding adaptation, finance, flexibility, and fossil fuels. Environment Vice Minister Zhao Yingming led the Chinese delegation at COP28. He says the conference provided a general direction for the next phase of global climate action. The outcome of the conference is in line with China's concept of ecological civilization, which promotes green and low-carbon transformation. We believe that this conference has basically met the expectations, as it has pointed out the direction for the next global climate governance process, especially in strengthening the global trend of green and low-carbon transition. This is a very important meeting. The foreign ministry says China will work with all countries to implement the Paris Agreement and contribute to a cleaner world. The COP28 agreement on moving away from fossil fuels is considered a significant step, uh, rather a significant step forward in combating climate change. Scientists in Australia have proposed uh, another approach to reduce greenhouse gases in the atmosphere through land management. And Greg Navarro has the story. We can store more carbon in our public lands as well. When Samantha Grover began her career as a soil scientist, she says climate change wasn't widely viewed as a serious global threat. That wasn't really of interest to the general public. Two decades later, the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology University senior lecturer says those attitudes have changed. So is the science of understanding the impacts from climate change, particularly when it comes to managing carbon emissions. There's more carbon in our soils than, we, than there is in the atmosphere. And we can change how much carbon there is in soils by using plants, right? It's not high tech, it's not magic, but it's a really different way of thinking about managing land. What climate scientists say hasn't changed enough is the dependence many developed nations, including Australia, have on the use of fossil fuels and the impact their emissions continue to have on the planet. We've known what the science is, but our action has been too slow. And so it is really frustrating um, as a climate scientist to see this. We put out the warnings and uh, society globally hasn't acted fast enough. Monash University climate science lecturer Ariane Purick studies sea ice in Antarctica. Since 2016, Antarctic sea ice has really declined dramatically. Um, it's stayed low since 2016 and we've had repeat record summer minimas in sea ice, and then this year uh, sea ice was off the charts low around Antarctica. Despite decades of inaction, Grover believes this year's COP28 UN Climate Summit provides a unique opportunity. I feel there's the potential at this COP for the oil and gas industry to get a strong message that it's time to move into different energy sectors. And Grover says she remains hopeful about the future. My optimism comes from the fear, the grief, and then the mobilisation to action of the general public. And it also really comes from, from farmers, from, from the landholders that I've had the opportunity to work with or, or view their work who are just doing it. Because Grover says they're trying to ensure the land they manage remains prosperous for future generations. That was Greg Navarro in Australia. Coming up, Russia's leader answers questions from the public on TV. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. 
Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. 11 minutes past the hour. Russian President Vladimir Putin's taken part in a televised event where he answers questions of domestic and international concern from citizens. Putin's announced that he will run for another six-year term in Russia's presidential election set for March. He has traditionally held the conference on an annual basis but skipped last year after Russia started what it calls a special military operation in Ukraine. Dasha Chernyshova has more. We understand from the Kremlin that the Russian president has received over one and a half million questions from the Russian public. As for the questions, we have heard the Kremlin confirming that the Russian president is receiving many questions that are related to the course and the situation through the course of the special military operation in Ukraine and the situation on the grounds. We also understand that there are many questions to the international situation and Russia's standing there. Uh, the Russian president has kicked off this event saying that the Russian uh, economy has withstood uh, the Western sanctions. It has not crippled. It has shown resilience and it is expected to grow by three and a half percent this year. We also have heard the Russian president already talking about the sovereignty of the country, saying that without the sovereignty, uh, without the proper defense of the Russian borders, without the consolidation within the Russian society, there would be no Russia as it has been for thousands of years. Uh, he's obviously expected to lay down the ground for his presidential campaign as he seeks re-election in 2024, but obviously he is to address many issues that are related to the special military operation in Ukraine, but also some of those domestic issues that are related to the issues of healthcare, to the issues related to the communal and public services. And definitely the Russian president is portrayed in these events as the so-called problem solver. That was Dasha Chernyshova in Moscow. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban says it's not yet time for Ukraine to join the European Union. The government's current position is that a rapid accession of Ukraine to the European Union would have unforeseen consequences. Ukraine's accession on a fast track is not in the interests of Hungary or the European Union. We are interested in a peaceful and prosperous Ukraine, but this requires the establishment of peace as quickly as possible and a considered deepening of strategic partnership, which could one day in a few years' time even lead to Ukraine's membership of the European Union but only when the time comes. The European Union's meeting to vote on whether to launch membership talks with Ukraine during a two-day summit in Brussels. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says Hungary has no reason to block Ukraine's EU membership. Hungary has rejected granting Ukraine uh, membership status. The foreign minister also recently said that Hungary will not support the talks on Kyiv's accession. Polish president sworn in new Prime Minister Donald Tusk at the presidential palace in Warsaw. The new prime minister has vowed to raise public sector pay and unblock 64 billion U.S. dollars in grants and loans that the EU froze due to the rule of law disputes between Warsaw and Brussels. And he adds that legislative measures aimed at supporting entrepreneurs and teachers will also be in place. Tusk's government has won a confidence vote in the lower house of the Polish parliament. Tusk has also made a return to Brussels for a European Council Western Balkans summit. He was elected as Prime Minister by the Lower House of Parliament after previous Prime Minister Matusz Morawiecki failed to obtain a vote of confidence.
U.S. House Republicans have unanimously voted to authorize the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. They hope that the impeachment inquiry will uh, give them better legal standing to hold the president's son, Hunter, in contempt of Congress. Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan is one of the leaders of the impeachment push, and he says it'll help them to get key witnesses that they want. The House has now spoken, and I think pretty loudly, pretty clearly, with every single Republican voting in favor of moving into this official impeachment inquiry phase of our constitutional duty uh, to do oversight. So when a majority of the House goes on record in support of an official impeachment inquiry uh, with the power that resides solely in the House of Representatives, this impeachment power, I think that sends a message. Hunter Biden's the first child of a sitting president to be criminally indicted, facing charges including tax evasion and breaking laws that ban drug users from having guns. He's offered to testify in a public hearing after refusing to appear at a closed-door deposition that was demanded by the Republicans. Many Republicans have accused Joe Biden of personally benefiting from Hunter's overseas business dealings. House Democrats rose in opposition to the impeachment inquiry resolution. Uh, so far, no substantiated evidence has surfaced to demonstrate that Joe Biden engaged in the misuse of his position or accepted illicit payments. But ethical concerns have been raised regarding the international business dealings of his family. Early figures from ballot counting in Egypt's presidential election indicate that incumbent President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi has secured enough votes for a third term. Adel al-Maruki has been following the proceedings. The window for voting stretched for three days. Until the very last minute, some polling stations were still seeing long lines of voters waiting to cast their ballot. Many people felt proud to be able to exercise their right. I didn't have time to come earlier to vote, but I wanted to vote. So I took the opportunity when my kids had sports training and left them to come here. I think it's important for the country that we vote. There is no stability in the countries around us. They have wars. They couldn't hold a presidential election, and that made me want to participate. The election authorities said that by midday on Monday, the turnout had reached 45%, a larger figure compared to the last presidential election in 2018. Meanwhile, the authorities and several domestic monitoring organizations said they didn't witness any significant violations to the voting procedures. There was a big turnout in many of the polling stations that I saw. All voting procedures were in order. We talked to the monitors inside the stations as well to see if they needed to report anything. Violations were not significant. They were mostly related to some observers who were monitoring on behalf of the other candidates. Some of them did not even have the required documents to be present on the polling stations. Other than that, the process was well organized. The entire voting process was manual. Once a polling station was closed, election officials moved to a local hub to add up the results of each district. Results coming out from several polling stations overnight had support for President Abdel Fattah Sisi ranging between 80 to 95 percent. As expected, the initial results at this ballot station indicates a landslide victory for President Abdel Fattah Sisi. However, the official result is still to be announced on December 18. That was Adele Al-Maruki in Cairo. 
The United Nations World Food Program uh, warns that parts of Sudan are at high risk of hunger next year because of the conflict in the African country. Agricultural experts are also worried that several other factors are threatening food security. They're calling on the government to prioritize agriculture. Nabat Mohideen uh, takes a look from Port Sudan. As the threat of famine looms large, Sudan seems to be ending 2023 with ever more uncertainty. According to a report by the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, most of Sudan's population of 44 million are facing into our new year, where food will be increasingly difficult to come by. Various contributing factors have been mentioned. Low agricultural production, high food prices, climate shocks, and massive displacements of people due to a conflict which had been devastating the country since April. Even animal disease outbreaks are expected to increase due to significant disruptions to veterinary services, further threatening food supplies. In Sudan, up to 25 million people are in need of food aid, according to the United Nations. And there are fears that numbers could increase if the ongoing conflict between two units of the country's security forces interferes with the ongoing planting season. The conflict is deepening the humanitarian crisis and worsening the food security of people in several urban, semi-urban and rural areas. Those most in danger are in states affected by high levels of violence, including Khartoum, Greater Darfur, and Greater Kurdufan. Worryingly, Kurdufan and Darfur are among the most important agricultural hubs in the country. They provide the bulk of Sudan's cereal output. The violence has prevented farmers in these regions from properly cultivating their crops if they haven't already fled. Experts say the government must prioritize ordinary people's basic needs ahead of the war effort. Sudan should focus on facilitating and increasing productivity and agriculture to sustain food security. The instability in the country may continue due to the political standoffs and only agriculture can prevent the hunger crisis and famines. Farmers and distributors need to be given more protection and intensives to work and do business. The increasing production costs compared to the low outcomes for the farmers is discouraging farmers and traders. The state should put fair policies and it should also find long-lasting resolutions to the intercommunal conflicts in agricultural areas as it's heavily impacting food security in Sudan. In the third quarter of 2023, Ahead of the critical planting season, the FAO reached over 1 million farming households or 5 million people to help support local food production and sustain rural livelihoods. However, instability and access challenges continue to threaten food security, and the year ahead in Sudan looks very bleak unless major changes come fast. That was Naba Mohideen on looming hunger in Sudan. The first batch of buses has left St. Petersburg after Finland reopened some of its border crossings with Russia. The land crossing points at Volima and Nerala will remain open until January the 14th. All six of the other crossings will remain closed. Many passengers say they're happy to see the reopening. I'm very glad that the border is reopened and we can all now go and see our relatives and they can also visit us and come here. 
I'm happy. I think it was the only good news while I stayed in St. Petersburg. I bought a ticket for 6.15 on December 14th a month ago, but I had to return it and change the destination to Tallinn. A week ago, I was doubtful that I would make it to Norway through Tallinn. I thought I would fly through Minsk, Turkey, Kyrkines, Murmansk. I'm happy that Tallinn is still open, and I'm very glad that Helsinki is open. Finland temporarily closed all border crossings with Russia on November 30th for two weeks amid an influx of migrants. Coming up, temperatures across northern China are forecast to plummet. The world is about to change. Warriors, assassins, fair maidens, court officials, and even emperors and heavenly immortals are nothing but pawns on a giant chessboard. Xu Fengnian, a playboy of national notoriety and heir to the empire's second most powerful man, finds himself embroiled in the depths of unbeatable game. CGTN Radio invites you to immerse in a world brimming with heroism and follow a young man's odyssey in the audio drama series, The Sword Strider Saga. Now available on radio.cgtn.com and all the major podcast platforms. When courage meets wisdom, the sword scribes an immortal legend. 23 minutes past the hour. China's first alert for cold waves this winter went to the highest level, as most parts of the country will experience steep temperature drops of more than 10 degrees Celsius. The northern regions will also have strong winds this week. In Beijing and some other areas in the north, it snowed Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, Schools have uh, moved classes online, and municipal authorities have been advising workplaces to introduce flexible hours. The largest agricultural products wholesale market in the Chinese capital has planned transportation routes to make sure vehicles can deliver ample amounts of fresh produce despite the heavy snowfall. Xin Fadi Market in southern Beijing asked merchants to stock up on vegetables and meat to ensure supplies and stable prices. An official running the market says the amount of vegetables reached a record high so far this year. The market supplies Beijing and even the entire northern China region every day. Its prices and supply of vegetables and meat products are a barometer of the farm produce market supply in the capital city. Environmental activists in Italy are calling for action to clean up the country's most polluted regions. Air quality in Italy's farming and industrial heartlands among the worst in Europe. It's been struggling to meet EU and World Health Organization targets for air pollution. Hermione Kitson finds out what measures are being carried out to change that. Cremona is famous for its Romanesque cathedral, Italy's highest bell tower, and its ancient violins. However, it's also notorious as one of the country's most polluted cities. It is very serious because the Po Valley is one of the five most polluted regional areas in Europe. Figures by the European Environment Agency show that air in Cremona and the Po Valley has four times the World Health Organization's guideline limit for fine particulate matter. It's otherwise known as PM2.5 and has been linked to thousands of premature deaths. I know that unfortunately the incident of deadly diseases is above the norm and that makes me really scared as a resident. Unfortunately, at Cremona, there are many problems associated with cancer. 
My partner recently also suffered from this problem. Lombardy's Regional Environmental Protection Agency says the area's geography is partly to blame. Povalle is in a particular situation because mountains close Povalle on three sides. So meteorological conditions are often adverse to air dispersion. Pollutants therefore remain in the lowest part of the atmosphere and become more concentrated. Industry and agriculture are significant factors at play as the Po Valley is Italy's farming and manufacturing heartland. But it's clear to see the environmental cost of the region's economic importance. Italy has repeatedly failed to stay within the European Union's air quality limits and new guidelines would reduce pollution such as fine particulate matter and nitrogen dioxide by up to half by 2030. Authorities claim the situation has improved due to electric vehicles and other initiatives, but the EU and WHO targets are still out of reach. Our meteorological conditions are uh, uh, so particular that uh, even if our emissions are not worse than in other parts of Europe, we need more time. Environmental groups say it's an excuse that's wearing thin. There are areas that have a meteorological disadvantage, but it doesn't mean they have less responsibility. And so, as authorities fight to extend their deadline, residents continue their battle to save lives. That was Hermione Kitson reporting. The great-grandnephew of Swedish chemist Alfred Nobel is offering a green Nobel Prize to environmental champions of the Amazon rainforest. Swedish-American businessman Marcus Nobel has instituted the annual environmental prize to spotlight projects helping preserve and sustain the rainforest and protect its uh, biodiversity. The United Earth Amazonia Prize will be awarded in June to six winners. The prize is unrelated to the Nobel Foundation, and prize money is yet to be decided. At 28 past the hour, Beijing will get moderate snowfall overnight. The lows down to minus 7. Friday's cloudy with a high of minus 3. Chongqing's 11 this evening. Tomorrow, slight rain with a high of 11. Last is down to minus 6, then sunny and 12 tomorrow. Hong Kong's at 21 this evening, then showers and 26. Elsewhere, Tokyo, 7 degrees overnight. It'll see a slight rainfall in 13 on Friday. Islamabad will be overcast in 8 tonight, then cloudy in 21. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then overcast. And 34. In Africa, Nairobi is getting a slight rain and a high of 24 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's 21 this evening, followed by a slight rainfall and 27. Shane Bigham with you on this Thursday. Still to come. Uh, in business, China's economic, or rather, uh, it's time for a short break. Hamas says it's ready to negotiate with Israel for another ceasefire in Gaza. And after confirming plans to run for re-election, Russia's leader takes questions from the public in a televised event. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. I love you. I this might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Bigham with you on this Thursday, still to come. 
In business, China's economic growth rate outperforms other major economies. In sports, teams are ready for the UEFA Champions League knockout stage. In culture and entertainment, the Palace Museum's waste-free initiative is reporting progress. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first of all, with the day's headline news, here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. China says it will continue to follow a path of Chinese modernization that features the harmonious coexistence between humans and nature and remain committed to promoting international cooperation on facing climate change. A foreign ministry spokesperson says China will deeply involved in negotiations on all topics at the COP28 climate conference and worked closely with the host country, the UAE, as well as other participants to offer solutions to major questions. The spokesperson says the outcomes of the summit send a positive message to adhering to multilateralism and cooperation to tackle climate issues. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has set about replacing key cabinet members after four ministers announced their resignations over a major corruption scandal in the ruling party. The cabinet crisis comes after allegations of kickbacks of around three and a half million US dollars in the Liberal Demo- in the Liberal Democratic Party. Local broadcasters NTV says investigators will start searching for evidence in lawmakers' offices from as early as next week. Meanwhile, public approval for Kishida's cabinet has dropped to 17%, the lowest since the LDP returned to power 11 years ago. U.S. House Republicans are threatening Hunter Biden with the contempt of Congress charge after he refused to appear for a closed-door deposition. The son of President Joe Biden defied a congressional subpoena, subpoena to appear privately before Republican investigators who have been digging into his business dealings. He insisted that he will only testify in public, saying the subpoena requesting closed-door testimony could be manipulated. House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan says he is disappointed that Hunter Biden did not show up. What we want is the facts. And the way you get the facts in every single de- uh, every single investigation I've been involved in is you bring people in for an interview behind closed doors where you can get those facts. And then, as the chairman said, we'd love for him to come public. Hunter Biden is the first child of a sitting president to be criminally indicted, facing charges including tax evasion and breaking laws that ban drug users from having guns. Testimony has concluded in Donald Trump's civil fraud trial. The former U.S. president is accused of lying about his net worth to dupe lenders. The lawsuit by the New York Attorney General seeks to fine Trump at least $250 million U.S. million and sharply curtail his ability to do business in New York. The judge is expected to issue a verdict after closing arguments next month. The UN Food Agency is warning of catastrophic hunger conditions in in Sudan by the lean season next year if it is unable to expand access to food assistance for people trapped in conflict hotspots. World Food Programme spokesperson Lenny Kingsley says regular and safe humanitarian access in areas worst hit by violence has been inadequate. WFP has been able to take advantage of momentary lulls in fighting to reach families in greater Khartoum with food assistance, but we've only managed to reach the capital one time in the last three months. And only one in five people who WFP has identified as most urgently in need of food assistance in the Khartoum area has received food aid since the conflict started. 
The WFP has called on all parties to the conflict to reach a humanitarian pause and allow unfettered access to avert a hunger catastrophe. Data shows that 18 million people across Sudan are facing acute hunger, more than double the number at the same time a year ago. The conflict between the Sudanese armed forces and the rapid support forces has killed at least 12,000 people and displaced millions of others. The Kremlin says U.S. military support for Ukraine is waning after Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky wrapped up a visit to the United States seeking more funding. Congress is divided over further support for Kiev. House Speaker Mike Johnson would not agree to support U.S. President Joe Biden's request to grant Ukraine more than $60 billion. Biden did announce that he will release $200 million in funding already approved by Congress. Russia called that a quite modest sum. A judge in Australia has quashed convictions against a woman who was imprisoned for 20 years over the deaths of her four children. Catherine Fulbig was pardoned and released in June after an inquiry last year found new evidence suggesting two of the children had a genetic mutation that may have caused their deaths. Her lawyer says Fulbig is planning to claim substantial compensation. Thank you very much. That was Zhu Tianlu with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's economic growth rate outperforms other major economies. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. 37 past the hour. Turning to business now, and here's Do Hongyu. Thank you, Shane. First, today's stock markets in Asia. The Chinese mainland markets closed lower. Timothy Pope has more. The Shanghai Composite Index opened higher after the U.S. Fed held those rates steady overnight and uh, was unexpectedly dovish in that uh, outlook for next year with uh, the signals of uh, the possibility of three rate cuts in 2024. But China's A-shares turned out to be far more focused on domestic data and that really showed in the market reaction to the latest bank lending data. Uh, Lending rose less than expected in November despite uh, supportive policies from the central bank and we saw the Shanghai Composite Index uh, lose all of its early energy and close about a third of 1% lower, while the Shenzhen component fell by more than half of 1%. Consumer stocks were dragging. Uh, We saw household lending remain fragile, uh, although uh, new consumer loan numbers did return to growth last month from a contraction that we saw in October. Uh, Financial stocks were all trading lower as well, including the nation's biggest banks. ICBC was down, China Merchants Bank was down, and was uh, China Life Insurance. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index surged 1%. In Japan, the Nikkei dropped 0.7%. China's economic growth rate so far this year is among the highest for major economies. Former Vice Head Ning Jijue of the National Development and Reform Commission says domestic demand played a major role in boosting economic growth. He says in the first three quarters, the growth of final consumption expenditure contributed 83.2% to economic growth. China's consumer price index in the first 11 months of this year averaged 0.3%, against the forecast of 4.1% for the U.S., 5.6% for the Eurozone, and 3.2% for Japan. On the jobs front, the surveyed urban unemployment rate eased to 5.3% on average in the first 10 months, better than the 6.5% in the Eurozone. 
In October, the International Monetary Fund forecast that the Chinese economy is projected to grow by 5%, while the U.S. is the only estimated to expand 2.1%. The U.S. Federal Reserve has left interest rates unchanged at a 22-year high of 5.25 to 5.5% as inflation continues to cool. It signals an end to its rate hike cycle and possible rate cuts next year. Owen Freklov has more. An end-of-year gift for U.S. consumers heading off for the holidays. The U.S. central bank holding its benchmark interest rate at the same level since July. At up to 5.5%, that benchmark interest rate is the highest for nearly 20 years. But it's a sign that the Federal Reserve's inflation battle is largely over. Chair Jerome Powell began hiking that rate when inflation ran out of control after the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Raising that rate traditionally makes credit more expensive and is a way of driving down inflation. And at just over 3%, core inflation is now near the 2% target the Fed seeks for a stable economy. But the average 30-year U.S. mortgage is now at 7%. But consider that rent is 6.5% higher than a year ago, with transportation costs 10% higher. So the Fed is concerned about pockets of stubborn inflation in the economy, even if the cost of food and fuel have dropped substantially. Now economists are wondering if the Fed feels confident enough to cut that rate so that prospective homeowners currently priced out of the market have a shot at getting on the housing ladder. And although economic growth is slowing, both consumer spending and the labor markets are strong, if not quite flying. That was Owen Freckloff reporting. Sales of existing homes in China reached an all-time high this year, with transactions making up over a third of all housing deals in the first 11 months. Housing official Dong Jianguo says the figure indicates that overall housing demand has not reduced. From January to November this year, the sales of new and existing homes combined has achieved positive growth, indicating that housing demand remains steady. There was no obvious contraction on the demand side, but the transaction structure did change as existing house transactions replaced some new house transactions. Dong says the country has ramped up financial support for real estate companies to ensure the delivery of housing projects. The number of completed housing projects jumped nearly 20 percent from a year ago. China's railways have handled over 3.5 billion passenger trips in the first 11 months of this year, more than double from the same period in 2022. The average daily number of passenger trains reached over 9,600, up over 50 percent. Authorities say they will continue to improve railway services to create a safe and comfortable travel environment for passengers. China's tourism market experienced a remarkable surge in the first three quarters. Revenue from domestic tourism reached over 520 billion U.S. dollars during the period, more than double last year. Meanwhile, there were over 3.6 billion domestic visits in the first three quarters, up 75 percent. China has overtaken the United States as the branded coffee shop capital of the world. As Li Jianhua reports, much of the success belongs to one local chain. Everybody knows that China is traditionally a tea-drinking country. But how about coffee? Is this as popular in China as it is elsewhere in the world? Starbucks dominates the world's coffee market, but in China, a new brand recently knocked them off the top spot. And their success says a lot about coffee culture in China. 
Starbucks operates over 6,500 stores in China. Locking Coffee, a homegrown brand founded in 2017, overtook Starbucks in June 2023 and became the largest coffee chain in China with 10,000 stores. But wait! In June 2020, Locking was delisted from the Nasdaq because of accounting fraud, for which the company had to pay a penalty of 180 million US dollars. So how did the tables turn and how did Locking manage to capture China's heart? First, who drinks coffee in China? The earliest coffee housing record was set up in 1836 by a Danish person in southern China's Guangzhou. It was called by the Chinese then as a black wine. But it was only when millennials and later Gen Z became the main consuming group that coffee, especially freshly ground coffee, became a leading beverage. Coffee's market value is expected to exceed 30 billion US dollars by 2025. And Lucking is dominating that market with cheap, innovative and fun products mainly appealing to Gen Z. 80% of coffee drinkers are aged between 20 and 35 and they either drink it to wake up or to socialize with friends. Unlike Starbucks, which provides a cozy and comfortable environment to sit and chat, Luckings stores are usually quite small and are more... Here we go, grab and go. Coffee culture has also embraced the digitalization. Consumers order from mobile apps so that drinks are ready when they arrive and they can also get them delivered to their workplace. And you can get your coffee anywhere at any time. The Chinese market's love of innovation has embraced Luckin's co-branding partnerships. In September, the company introduced a liquor-flavored latte together with China's most high-end alcohol brand, Maotai. That has captured many young Chinese commuters' hearts. On launch day, over 5 million cups were sold, and that single-day turnover exceeded $13 million. Can they stay on top? Well, who knows? In the lightning speed of change in the Chinese consumer market, you always need to stay ahead of the game. That was Li Jianhua reporting. A surge in social media usage in Vietnam has given rise to a booming e-commerce market. E-commerce marketer Huang Duc Tan says numerous locals have adopted the Chinese live streaming model to boost their businesses. I watch uh, live stream every, every day in Chinese. I'm trying to do the same, the new concept that uh, Vietnamese don't do uh, that before. I applied the Chinese in Vietnam. It's working very, very effectively. Recognizing the market potential, Owen Zhang with Chinese e-commerce giant JD.com says the company has built two smart logistics and warehouse bases in Vietnam, each covering over 100,000 square meters. In just one year, the proportion of live streaming orders has reached 65%. We hope that our accumulated supply chain experience in China can be applied to the Vietnamese market and accompany the high-quality development of enterprises. Analysts predict that Vietnam will be the fastest-growing market for e-commerce in Southeast Asia this year, with total revenue expected to exceed $20 billion U.S. dollars. And finally, Tesla is recalling over 2 million vehicles it sold in the United States over a software defect in the autopilot feature. The recall covers nearly all Tesla vehicles on U.S. roads. 
U.S. safety regulators say the company will send out a software update to fix the problems. The recall comes after a two-year investigation into a series of clashes that happened while the partially automated driving system was in use. All right, thank you very much. That was Do Hongyu with Business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, teams are ready for the UEFA Champions League knockout stage. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now and turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. The UEFA Champions League lost the 16 teams are ready for the knockout stages as Paris Saint-Germain and Porto took the final two spots. PSG squeezed into the knockout phase from the group of death after drawing one all with Borussia Dortmund. Teenager Warren Zari Emery fired in the equalizer minutes after Karim Adeyemi had scored for Dortmund in the second half. But PSG also had AC Milan to thank for beating Newcastle 2-1 in the other Group F match. PSG coach Luis Enrique says his side will get better after a roller coaster group campaign. I am an external optimistic, and I think that none of the first teams in their groups will be happy to face PSG in the last 16. You can ask them, and if I'm mistaken, we will see. We will be stronger in February. Porto advanced from Group H after a 5-3 thriller victory over Shakhtar Donetsk. Barcelona ended up the group winner despite a 3-2 loss to Antwerp. Manchester City finished a perfect group stage after beating Red Star Belgrade 3-2. 20-year-old Michael Hamilton made his senior debut for City and scored opener for the defending champions. Pep Guardiola says he's happy about how the team played. Very pleased for, for, for the result, for the for the performance in general, the effort for everyone, how the seniors uh, help to the young lads, and of course, win helps to win. It happened against against Luton, that helped us a lot to win today, and hopefully this victory can help us for the next games. Elsewhere, Atletico Madrid won Group E with a record-tying 20th consecutive victory at home in a 2-0 win against Lazio. Four Spanish teams are now in the last 16, the most by any country. Champions League winning coaches Pep Guardiola and Jonathan Giraudis are on the FIFA final shortlist in a race to be named the world's best in 2023. Guardiola is among three candidates with Simone Inzaghi and Luciano Spalletti for the FIFA Best Coach Award in men's football. Giraudis has the candidates for the women's honor after leading Barcelona to the European title last season. She will compete with Chelsea's Emma Hayes and England coach Serena Wiegmann. In badminton action from the World Tour Finals, China's Shi Yuqi beat Victor Axelsen in Hangzhou to open the action in Group A and picked up his first win over the world number one in nearly six years. The home favorite built up an early lead with aggressive plays and capped that level in two 21-19 games. On the women's side, Tokyo Olympic champion Chen Yufei took just over an hour to overcome compatriot Han Yue in Group A. Chen closed out that contest in three games. In Group B, world number one An Seo of South Korea lost to her teammate Kim Ga-in in straight games. The NFL will play a regular season game in Brazil next year in the latest expansion of the league's international plan. 
The league says the game will be played at Arena Corinthians in the city of Sao Paulo. The stadium has a capacity of nearly 50,000 and was the venue for the 2014 World Cup and 2016 Olympics. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. We couldn't be more excited about this opportunity and we believe uh, this marks obviously the first time we've played in South America, either a regular or preseason game. Uh, it is a big step for the NFL on a global basis and I would like to tell you that uh, we wouldn't have done it without the leadership and the support of Mayor Nunes. So thank you, Mayor, for, for supporting us and we look forward to having a wonderful game. The NFL played its first two regular season games in Germany this year with three more in the UK. The league also will expand to up to eight international games starting in 2025 with Spain and the return to Mexico among the possibilities. The NBA has suspended Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green indefinitely for violence. Green hit Phoenix Suns center Yusuf Nurkic in the face in Tuesday's game and received a flagrant two-fell and ejection. The league says the penalty begins immediately. This is already Green's second suspension this season. The NBA says this outcome takes into account Green's repeated history of unsportsmanlike acts, and he will be required to meet certain conditions before he returns to play. The 33-year-old was ejected for the 18th time in his career most among active NBA players. And finally, in Wednesday's NBA action, Giannis and Compo scored a franchise record 64 points to help the Milwaukee Bucks outscore the Indiana Pacers 140-126. The Greek freak broke the team record of 57 set by Michael Redd in 2006. However, the night was spoiled with a post-game confrontation, and Compo exchanged heated words with members of the Indiana staff and raced toward the Pacers' locker room as teams squared off in in a dispute over the game ball. And Tocompo wished to keep the ball on his milestone night, but the home playing Pacers took the ball for Oscar Shibui, who scored his first official NBA point in the game. In other highlights of the day, the Phoenix Suns' Kevin Durant, Devin Booker and Bradley Beal finally made their all-star trail debut, only to see the Brooklyn Nets take the game 116-112. The LA Lakers held off Victor Wembanyama and San Antonio 122-119, extending the Spurs' franchise record losing streak to 18 games. Right, thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, the Palace Museum's waste-free initiative is reporting progress. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. It's 54 past the hour. In culture and entertainment, the Palace Museum in Beijing says its waste-free initiative is taking effect as the 600-year-old cultural icon has seen significantly less waste created by visitors and tourists. The site says it's managed to reduce the number of trash bins to 110 sets in areas open to the public. It's a decrease from 310 sets logged in 2020 when the campaign was launched. The museum has also recycled more than 32,000 plastic bottles to make cultural and creative products since June of 2021. That's the equivalent to a 930-kilogram uh, reduction in carbon emissions. The museum says the target's to minimize the waste that needs to be buried or burned and bring the amount of uh, such waste infinitely close to zero. 
China's cinematic authorities have confirmed that Hollywood blockbuster Dune Part 2 will be introduced to the country's theaters with a release date yet to be announced. You've been fighting the Harkonnens for decades. My family's been fighting them for centuries. Earlier reports said the highly anticipated sci-fi sequel is set to become director Denis Villeneuve's longest film to date. Media revealed that the film will have a runtime of 166 minutes. That's a full 11 minutes longer than the predecessor. The second installment revolves around Paul, played by Timothy Chalamet, who embarks on a new journey to take revenge for the murder of his father. Dune Part 2 was originally scheduled for release in November, but was moved back to March of next year as a result of the strikes in Hollywood. The Shanghai Gaming Company's role-play, or rather, a Shanghai Gaming Company's role-playing game has won the Best Mobile Game Award at the Game Awards 2023, often considered the Oscars of gaming. Additionally, the release date of the highly anticipated Chinese game Black Myth Wukong has uh, been unveiled at the event. Uh, Yang Yan has more. Hong Kai's Star Rail won the Best Mobile Game title at Game Awards 2023. It was developed by Hoyoverse, a leading gaming company in China based in Shanghai. Hong Kai's Star Rail is a space-themed fantasy role-playing game that enables players to explore the galaxy and embark on new adventures. Since its release on April 26, the game has gained immense popularity. In the previous interview, the company's chairman Liu Wei emphasized the company's dedication to promoting Chinese culture. I hope online gaming companies can be an important part of promoting Shanghainese and Chinese culture to the world. Chinese game developers are seeking new opportunities, and there has been a growing interest in Chinese culture among foreign gamers. At the Game Awards 2023, a new trailer was released for Black Miss Wukong, a highly anticipated Chinese game. Developed by Hangzhou-based Game Science, it is set to be launched on August 20, 2024. This action role-playing game draws inspiration from the classic Chinese novel Journey to the West and offers immersive, fast-paced combat against a diverse range of enemies. Black Miss Wukong won the Best Visuals Award at this year's Gamescom in Cologne, Germany in August. That was uh, Yang Yan on uh, Chinese Video Game Awards at the uh, TGA 2023. Emmy-winning American actor Andre Brower has died at the age of 61. His publicist says Brower died after a brief illness. The Chicago-born actor establishes fame in the role of Detective Frank Pembleton, the lead role on dark police drama Homicide, Life on the Street. The show ran for seven seasons with Brower as its dramatic center. He won his first career Emmy for the role in 1998. Brower also starred in the comedy Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We're at 58 past the hour. Beijing will get moderate snowfall overnight with a low down to minus 7. Friday has cloudy skies and a high of minus 3. Chongqing's at 11 this evening, then a slight rainfall and 11. Last is down to minus 6. Friday has sunshine and 12 degrees. Hong Kong's at 21 this evening, then showers and 26. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 7 overnight. It'll see a slight rainfall and 13 on Friday. Islamabad's overcast and 8 this evening, followed by cloudy skies and 21 degrees Celsius. 
And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Hamas says it's ready to negotiate with Israel for another ceasefire in Gaza. And after days of snow in northern China, regions including the capital are now bracing for a sharp drop in temperatures. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.